Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. But again, just because I'm reading the whole chapter doesn't mean I have a whole lot to say about it. There's just some things in here I think it'll do us good to read. In fact, I'm going to back up into, into Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. Matthew 9, 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, we've uh, read that verse before, and that is the, when, when we talk about praying for the lost, this is one of the biblical passages that tells us precisely how to do that. Uh, that uh, there might be somebody that you have a, a real heart to see saved, but maybe you haven't been able to speak into their lives. Maybe they don't, haven't received it from you. And maybe we want that jewel in our crown. We want to be able to say, I led that person to the Lord. But pray that God sends somebody into that field, somebody across their path, a laborer who can reap that harvest. Uh, our goal should just be being, see them saved, not necessarily just to be the one who gets them saved. However... We, uh, the flip side of that is, once you latch on to this idea, well, that's how we pray for the lost. We pray that the Lord sends laborers into the harvest. Keep in mind, we are laborers too. And I bring that up because right after he tells them, the harvest truly is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then, uh, and then it names them... Uh, Skip down to verse 5. And these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying. So he tells them, look. I mean, he looks. They're going around. What's he doing? Uh, Number one, I love back there in in chapter 9. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing all sicknesses. He's healing all diseases. And he looks at the multitudes. It's like everywhere he goes, he's healing them all. And yet he looks at the multitudes and like, wow, look at all these people. And they're lost. They're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Look how plentiful the harvest is. Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends laborers into the harvest. Then he calls the twelve and sends them. The very people he told to pray for har- uh, that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest, he sends into the harvest. So the people praying for the harvest are also out there bringing the harvest in, right? So he gives them the say, he gives them the power to do the things that he was doing. That's significant too. Uh, wouldn't that be unfair? Now you've seen how I've done this stuff, but I'm the son of God. You can't do it. However, go ahead out there. I'm st- still sending you out there to preach the same gospel. Not right. So what's he do? He gives them power over unclean spirits and over diseases and everything else. And sent them out and commanded them, uh, verse 5, saying, Do not go the way of the Gentiles, into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, why is he telling them not to go to the Gentiles, not to go to the Samaritans? It's just simply, uh, I think, it, it's certainly not a, uh, any indication that God did not want the Samaritans or the Gentiles to hear the word. It's simply a matter of order. 
There are plenty of people right here. Don't get such a... uh, He's going to send them into all the world, right? We know that that commission is coming. Hey, by the way, speaking of going into all the world, Emily's back from China. Everybody say, hi, Em. And we're going to be hearing from her on Sunday. She's going to be sharing uh, for, for a little while anyway. 15 minutes. All right, I'm cutting you off at 1530. So I'm just, no. I'll give you a little liberty there. But I'm excited. She shared a little bit last night at prayer. And you are going to love uh, the, the, I'm, I'm sure we're all going to love the stories and, and the ex- her sharing her experiences from China. But anyway, he's going to tell them to go into all the world. He'll tell them that later. Uh, but even then, uh, when he tells them that when Pentecost had come, when, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, they would receive power to be his witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Start where you are at. I can remember... So, uh, we did a podcast today uh, that I would encourage you to listen to. I don't know how well it turned out. That we had some te- technical difficulties and I had to kind of re- re- uh, record some stuff. But we were talking about the value of short-term missions today on the podcast. I don't know when that will be up next week sometime probably or later this week. And uh, I can remember on, uh, in my first, I think it was my first trip down to Mexico with YWAM, having this conversation with some of the leaders there, or listening, I don't think I was the one that said it. I hope I wasn't the one that said it, but I don't think I was. Where, we, you know, we're going out there on the streets, and uh, we were down in Mexico. This wasn't a border town, and we, you know, we were eight, nine hours down into the country. And so people weren't really accustomed to seeing a lot of gringos. At least they weren't at the time. We're down there in the Monterey area, and uh, Aguas Calientes. And uh, so when they would see us walking down the street, it would draw a crowd. Kids would just run up to us. They, they just wanted to d- touch us, you know, if, if, if somebody had blonde hair, they wanted to touch their hair and uh, sit down, you know, next thing you know, you got 20, 30 kids around you, and, and if you speak a little Spanish, uh, play little games with them, trying to tell what their, what their names are in English and stuff like this, they really, really respond to all this stuff, and, uh, and then the parents will maybe kind of come up, and you, you try to engage, you know, and, and, and you've got your little sheet of Spanish phrases, you know, tiene una Biblia en su casa, do you have a Bible in your home? And you uh, offer them Bibles, and, you, and then you invite them to a service. And I remember somebody bringing us up, he says, wow, you know, I just really sense the love of these people, and there's so much I want to share with them, but the language barrier. They come up, and they want to talk, and they're so easy to talk to because of their openness and their interest, but there's only so much I can say. And uh, the leader, Bill Burton, says, I understand that, and that's a great heart. Isn't it great that when you get home, that language barrier doesn't exist? But you know what else doesn't exist sometimes when you get home? The boldness, (laughs) the recognition of those opportunities. There's something easy about spilling all that to a bunch of people you're not going to see next week. But we also need to look, wow, this 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 is where we are at. Yes, going to all the world. But if you can't do it here, are you really going to do it in all the world? All right? There's a mission trip becomes something else. Anyway, we'll hear about whether you preached the gospel over there, Emily. I know you did. So, uh, so go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. That's, that's what that means. Start here. Start where you're at. There's plenty of people. This is where Jesus was. Jesus, his whole ministry was right there in Israel. And he's looking at... At the multitude saying, look how big the harvest is. Okay, we'll get to the world, we'll get to the Gentiles, but there's plenty for you to do right here. Now, as, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
that's another interesting thing. Here he is sending them out to do this work. And he doesn't say, don't aim for miracles just yet. Just love on them. Get to know them. Make sure they know I love them. Make sure they know they're forgiven. You know, miracles might come later. We'll leave that in God's hand. No, what's he say? You tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you heal the sick. You cast out their demons. Raise the dead. They're just starting out. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Uh, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, or, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now he's sending them out on a short-term trip here and basically just telling them to travel light, all right, and telling them to trust God for their provision along the way and gives them some specifics here. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And, and what's that mean? Is this some sort of mysterious sense that, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pl- place my peace here, and when I leave, I'm going to take it with me? He's just saying, look, if they don't want you to stay there, if they don't want to hear what you have to say, then you leave peacefully. Don't throw a fit, all right? Don't stew about it. Shrug your shoulders. Walk away. In fact, Uh, Whoever will not receive you and hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Don't you stew about it. Leave it in the hands of God. Now, here come the warnings, beginning in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to their count, to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So this, uh, this is kind of a twofold thing. It's kind of like a warning, and yet at the same time we see God's hand in all this. Like I'm sending you out to a place that, uh, into a ministry, into a mission field, that at times, wherein at times you are going to experience hostility from the people that you're there to minister to. You want to see them saved, you want to see them healed, delivered, set free, uh, but their response is not always going to be friendly or welcoming, it's, and sometimes going to be downright hostile. They're going to grill you, they're going to take you before the councils, and they will bring you before their governors. Uh, their idea is to bring you, bring you to accuse you and hopefully see you punished, but I will use those opportunities so that you can be my witnesses to those governors. Because you can't just go up and knock on his door. But you go ministering to people in the street as you get to know them, the people whose houses you're staying in. And if you offend them and they turn you in, you'll wind up before the important people of the day. And you'll have the opportunity to testify of me to them. But when they deliver you up, verse 19, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is something that, uh, this is a verse that gets taken out of context a lot. And I've, you know, known ministers who are like, well, I never, I never prepare anything. I just wait until I get up there and I just let God speak through me. And so I never study anymore. I even heard a guy, I shared this with you, I'm sure, a few times over the years. There was a guy who, who uh, came to speak at a youth group in Tulsa. It was Mike Goolsbee's youth group. And this guy came and he had forgotten his Bible. He just forgot to pack it. And when he, instead of borrowing a Bible or anything, he just got up there and said, well, you know what? He says, uh, I didn't bring a Bible with me, but that's okay. 
because I got something better than the Bible. I got the Spirit of God. We shouldn't even be tied to this Bible anymore because we got the Spirit, we got the author of the Bible living inside us. And basically starts talking about, and then, and Mike's like, he's telling me the story. He's like, and I, he didn't need to get any further than that before he decided this guy will never speak in my pulpit again. Uh, because what the Spirit of God does is bring these things up. The things he will tell you to say in that hour will be things that you have absorbed from a life of study, from a lifestyle of disciplined reading of the Word of God. All right? When you have access to the Word of God and you don't avail yourself of it, and then you find yourself in a situation where you need God to speak through you, you don't really have a leg to stand on if you open your mouth and nothing comes out. All right? What God will do is order that speech. He'll bring the things that he's planted in you out at the right time, the right things. You know, ton of knowledge in here. There's a ton of knowledge. You already have it in your heart, in your head. Uh, but not everything is for every moment. God will tell you what to say when. He was the one who will fill your mouth. But you still have to put that stuff in there. Amen? Uh, yeah, it's not you speak, but the spirit of, uh, spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Verse 21. Now, now it gets ugly. Brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will have not gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, uh, before we go on with the rest of that, this is, uh, there's, there's things I will say about this stuff about brothers and sisters and parents and children that will make more sense if I, once I get later in this chapter. So let me just say this for now. This is, a, this is something that literally does happen in some parts of the world, and I'm sure it did back then as well, uh, where, uh, you know, in, in, when, when communism was first uh, taking hold in a number of countries. Children who were being indoctrinated were encouraged to tell on their parents if they had Bibles in the house and turn them in. Nazi Germany was like this to an extent. They were, you know, if, they, if their you know, children were, you know, Hitler youth, you know, ratting out their parents for staying loyalty, loyal to the church's teachings or refusing to uh, turn in their Jewish friends and things like that. Uh, it's, it's an ugly, ugly thing to picture children turning on their parents like that and abandoning the values they've been raised in it's an even uglier thing somehow to hear about parents delivering up their children to be killed uh, but this is the kind of world that jesus is predicting he's sending us out into and i hate it and we have to understand this isn't the world god created this is a corrupt sin sick world but thank god and thank jesus for warning us. Don't be surprised when you encounter these things. This, this is how bad the opposition is. Why? How can people be so hateful? This is demonic. The devil hates us. He hates the message. He hates the truth. He hates the light. And he will do anything. And he has no limits. Uh, in terms of, uh, no limits in terms of his depravity. He's limited in terms of his power. But there's nothing that's off limits in terms of, oh, and I can't cross that line. He'll cross any line turning parents against children and children against parents to save their skin or to make them look good or whatever. It's demonic. So, but when he says when they, 
When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the, city of, the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, what does this mean? That's, uh, this, that, by the way, that verse, it's just kind of tucked in there neatly. The rest of this is pretty straightforward. But that verse is pretty controversial. A lot of people are like, what does that mean? He's, saying, he's not saying go all the cities of the world. He's saying all the cities in Israel. You'll not, you'll not get through all the cities uh, in Israel before the Son of Man comes. Is he talking about the second coming here? Some people tried to explain it away by saying, well, it's, it's, a, it's like in Matthew, and it's not just in Matthew, but you, you read about the, trans, remember the transfiguration where uh, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus and they see him glorified. They see him in his glorified form. Uh, well, and this was a fulfillment of what he had just said when he's talking about, uh, I'm talking about some things to him. He said, and I, I, I'm saying to you, there are some people, some of you uh, here today who will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in glory. And some people look at that and say, well, that's crazy. He still hasn't come in glory. He's clearly talking about the second coming. Now, he was talking about the transfiguration that was just about to happen. He's saying some of the people who are sitting here today, and sure enough, three of them did, uh, went up the mountain with him and saw this happen. So some people say, well, this is kind of another way of talking about the transfiguration. No, it's not. I don't think it is. I, I kind of agree with Hayford's commentary on this, which is probably the simplest answer is all he's saying is on this mission right now. I'm sending you into these cities, and before you're done, I'll join you. I think that's all he's saying. All right, this don't don't th- th- don't don't panic about this stuff. Uh, if if you're if you go into a city and they're persecuting you, don't waste too much time there because there are other cities down the road that still need to hear. And I'll join you later. I've got some other things to do. I'm going over here and minister, and then I'll I'll join you guys in chapter twelve or whatever. So, in uh, verse twenty four, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And once again, this is Jesus saying, he knows that Jesus knows who he is. When he's talking about the master, he's talking about himself. They're his disciples. They're his servants. He says, look what they've called me, Beelzebub. Uh, the, the message renders that. If they, if they call me dung face, what are they going to call you? I'm not sure that's a real accurate translation, but uh, Beelzebub uh, is, uh, is translated in some uh, books and some uh, messages as Lord of the Flies. And they say that is a reference to a heap of dung, how dung draws flies. And, uh, but it's, it's obviously, what, and, what's this, and what, what, what are they talking about here? You remember probably, don't you, when uh, the Pharisees, were questioning Jesus' healing power, you know? It's like they really didn't like Jesus' message because it really threatened their position in uh, society and everything. And I'm going to separate you guys. Uh, it thre- threatened their, their, uh, <laughs> their rank and everything else. But, but they really wrestled with the fact that he was clearly doing miracles. So they're trying to, ex- they're trying to explain it. And instead of explaining it, they explain it away. And the simplest answer they could come up with was, well, sure. He's casting out demons because he's the prince of demons. He's, he, it's, it's not God's power that's enabling him to cast out demons. It's the devil's power. And, you know, Jesus turns to them and, and, and says, uh, you know, if I'm casting out devils by the devil's power, who are you casting them out by? Do you remember this conversation? Isn't it funny? You know, it's interesting. You have to understand something. They weren't casting out devils at all. It wasn't like he was saying, well, then you're casting out devils by the devil's power too. He's saying, one of us is casting out devils. <laughs> and it ain't you. 
And you're accusing me of doing it by the power of the demons. Okay, so how many devils did you cast out today and whose power are you using? And then he goes on to counter it. Look, you know, it makes no sense for you. If I'm, if I'm a demon, I'm not going to cast out demons. A house of, uh, divided against itself can't stand. So here, he's just referring to that. Look, you remember what they called me, right? He knows who he is. The disciples know who he is. They've had this revelation. He's like, and they're calling me Beelzebub. So don't be surprised if they call you something worse because you're my servant. Don't let any of this take you by surprise. I, I've heard it all. I continue to minister. You're not above me. Drive on. Therefore, do not fear them, verse 26, for there is nothing covered that will, be, that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And, uh, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You know what? Let me read through this because what I'm going to say about this really kind of encompasses the next several verses. Let me read on here and I'll come back to this. Therefore, verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him... I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Stop there for just a second. Is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Did the angel announce in Luke chapter 2, at the, at the moment of Christ's birth. Peace on earth. Is Jesus a minister of peace? He absolutely is. But we have to understand there's more than one type of peace. Jesus, the peace that Jesus is the prince of, the peace that he comes to offer all men is an end to the hostility between man and God. By removing sin, he removes, or he removes us, takes us out of this state of enmity with God. All right? That's the peace that he offers us. When he says this, and this really is a message for our culture today. When he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. He is talking about, I guarantee you what he's talking about is, when people say today, you want to know what the gospel message is? I saw this the other day. Anybody remember the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Anybody remember this? And and you got these goofballs, Keanu Reeves, and I don't remember the other guy. uh, The other guy who didn't become a big star after Bill and Ted. And uh, they've got this crazy rock band called Wild Stallions. And they've got this motto. Does anybody remember their motto? Be excellent to each other. And somebody put this on Facebook the other day. If your gospel doesn't preach, if your Jesus or your church doesn't preach this message or something better, then I have no use for it. And then they put Bill and Ted saying, be excellent to each other. This is what the gospel is. Be excellent to each other. No matter what anybody believes, no matter what they practice, no matter what they think, just be excellent to each other. That's peace. This is the gospel, and I know ministers who preach this. That this is really the heart of it. We're all just supposed to get along. That's not what Jesus taught. Now we've been reading this. We read this in Romans. What Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be, be at peace with all men. 
But the truth of the gospel is going to bring a sword that divides. It absolutely will because some people will not respond to the truth as truth. And we cannot, in the name of peace and being excellent to each other, compromise the truth. If we went around preaching being excellent to each other, they wouldn't bring us to be scourged by the authorities. Nobody's opposed to that. This is the gospel people want to hear. God loves us all no matter what. And all he really wants is for us to get along. What's he say? I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take, up, take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now that's, that's a pretty loaded series of verses there. But if I take this back to verse 27, 28, 29, uh, 27, 28. You know, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And then skip down to verse 32. Therefore, who confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. But if he, die, if he denies me, I'll deny him before my Father in heaven. He's letting us know what the stakes are. His, com- his commandment is to go out. And what's he telling them to preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. How does he tell them to demonstrate that? By healing their diseases, casting out demons, and raising their dead. So what can they see? They hear the message, and they think, maybe they think, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? kingdom of heaven is at hand god's on the scene am i in trouble what's the deal and so they say no here's what it looks like when the kingdom when god's kingdom when his rule is manifest in our midst here's what it looks like rise up and walk in the name of jesus be free of your leprosy in the name of jesus live rise up and walk little child arise and the people are like wow the kingdom of heaven is a good thing and then the religious leaders or maybe the civil authorities are like we don't like that that's scary that's kind of anti to what we've we've been teaching them so we're going to drag you before the magistrates etc cetera, etc cetera, right he's telling us to preach this stuff it's a good news gospel but says you better preach it boldly if you are ashamed of this then i'll be ashamed of you but your obedience and your boldness is going to cost you relationships even family relationships. Now, is God about families? You better believe he is. I believe that God's in the business of saving families. There's so much in the Old and New Testament where God saved families, and households, right? This is his will, but God knows all things, and he knows it's not always going to be like that. Now, I believe also that even where there is a sword, even when there is a division, healing can still come. Read a book called Betrayed by Stanley Telkin. He was a Jewish man, and I mean he was hardcore Jewish man, and then his daughter went off to college and became a Christian. It was like driving a knife into his heart. It was the worst thing that ever happened to him. And, and that's why he called the book Betrayed. This is what he felt like. It, this was, and it's something that was hard for us to get our heads around. But she has just turned her back on thousands of years of what makes us a people. 
And so he started studying the Bible so he could show her what was wrong with the Bible. And what happened to Stanley? He became a Christian, and that relationship was back together. So there was a sword, but there was also a mending. But we have to be willing for those divisions to happen, don't we? We cannot, and I've known too many families who did this, it's family first no matter what. I don't approve of this. I'm not crazy about it, but they're family. And after all, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than What does that phrase mean? Well, here's what it means today. It means that family bonds trump everything. We might have principles, we might have convictions, but at the end of the day, I'm going to make my decision and my loyalties are going to be because of blood, because of relatives. Okay, if we've got five people who are more or less qualified for the job, but one of them is related to the boss, guess who gets the job? Right, because blood's thicker than water. But do you know that that phrase has another meaning? You go back many, many years, and what the full phrase said was, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It means just the opposite thing. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. In other words, what, what joins me with Jesus is a stronger bond than what joins me with my relatives. That blood is thicker than water. And if we will remain loyal to that covenant, that is our greatest hope of seeing families reconciled in Christ. What is the point of a family being reconciled but having to deny Christ and his teachings in order to do that. He who seeks, he who finds his life will lose it. And that's I think what he's saying there is if your goal is to make sure your life is the best and your whole focus is on your life, you're going to miss exactly what makes life worth living. But if you deny yourself, you pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, guess who you find? You find Jesus and you find who you were meant to be all along. You find, you know, Jesus says, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, that when you're saved, you are set on a path of good works that God preordained beforehand for you to walk in. This was your life's purpose. And when you pursue Jesus, you find him and you find you. You, you, you go ignoring Jesus. Not only do you not find Jesus, you lose your own life. You lose yourself. And finally, he who receives me, who re- he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And he whoever, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And all I'll say about that last bit is this you might not feel ready to shout it from the housetops. But you can offer a cup of cold water. And he's talking about serving his people. There are things you can do. Now listen, I'm not letting anybody off the hook, so let me finish this statement. There are things, safe things, little things, and bigger things, that you can do right here in the comfort and shelter of this church family. And really, everybody ought to be doing something. My newsletter article will be coming out when the newsletter comes out in a few days. I encourage you to read it. 
There's some stuff in there that, that kind of dovetails with what I'm talking about tonight. So if you have to start small, start small. Bring something. Some, if, if, if you if you're, uh, don't feel qualified or ready or brave enough to launch out into the kind of ministry Jesus is talking about here, then you do something to make it easier for the people that are. Bring them a cup of cold water. Offer to do some of the, some of the more mundane tasks. But always make it your aim to be stepping up to something bigger. The disciples didn't walk with Jesus for decades before he sent them out on this mission. I keep coming back to what Keith said uh, when, when we were talking the other night about this praying for this rapid, mature, uh, this rapid maturity process that we still see from time to time. But we used to, there just used to be this when people got saved, it was this, they were consumed with what does this mean and seeing their lives transformed so quickly and launching into ministry. And all the, more, all the more so because there is an urgency in Scripture from clear back then that the time is short. We don't have forever to do this. So let's be about it. But let's don't be ashamed, man. When we've got an opportunity to speak up, speak up. And here's, I know, left out one major thing. I forgot to get, I told you I was going to come back to it and I didn't. Quickly, and here we are already, 8 o'clock. Uh, time flies when the preaching's good, doesn't it? <laughs> Independence Day is next Wednesday. We, we won't have church. Uh, and we and just won't have, we just, I understand. Church is more important. God, God is more important. But we also know that's a busy day for a lot of people. A lot of you are not going to be here anyway. That's okay. Have a barbecue. Watch fireworks. Remember what Independence Day is about, right? Uh, we are big on our independence in America. And we've taken it further than God ever intended for it to go. Because we see ourselves as individually autonomous creatures, meaning we can do whatever we want because we're Americans. But you can't if you're a Christian. However, what you can do, going back to the persecution that Jesus is talking about, like I said, these things are literally happening in parts of the world. And I believe, I'm not trying to be pessimistic or anything, I think it's a matter of time before they're happening in this part of the world. They're happening closer than you think they are. When you hear about a pa- pastors being jailed for declaring biblical truth, that's hate speech. That's yeah, in the Bible. You just can't preach that part. When you, this was in the, and, and that was in Canada. In the United States, do you remember where they were asking pastors to turn in copies of their sermons for review? This is crazy. I think we sort of had a stay of execution for a few years here. Meanwhile... Here's what I'm saying. We still live in a nation where it is largely legal and perfectly okay to share your faith. And we can talk and we can pray all we want about, oh, Lord, when it gets that bad. If we're here for the tribulation, I pray, Lord, that you make us bold enough to, to, to obey you. Well, are we obeying him now? Are we doing what he says here in Matthew chapter 10? Are we going to the cities and towns? Are we going starting small? Not starting small, but starting local. Are we reaching out to the multitudes right here in our area to tell them about Jesus, to, pray, to, to heal their sick, raise their dead, cast out demons? Are we willing to do these things, and are we willing to be made fun of or ridiculed for doing it? It's tough. If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't have had to say these things so strenuously. But Jesus did say them. This is your job, not just mine. I've kind of got the easy job. I'm saying all this to people who I know want to do it. 
But I got to do this too. I preached to my neighbor the other night. Preached at him pretty hard. And we're still friends. Still neighbors. He hasn't moved. <laughs> Stand up with me. I hope it came across this way. I'm trying to encourage and exhort you. That's all. I'm not trying to slam you or... I don't remember anything I said that... that I certainly hope this wasn't... That you didn't receive this as, oh my goodness, I'm disappointed in you. You're a bunch of uh, embarrassed weaklings or something like that. This is a great church. You guys are great. I just, every one of us needs uh, a kick every now and then. And maybe be pulled up to another level. Jesus commanded us to do these things. And if we do these things in obedience to Jesus, we will see results. We absolutely will. And what are the results we're talking about? We'll see healings. We'll see deliverances. We'll see people saved. We'll see the dead brought back to life. Both in the sense that we see Jesus working that miracle and, even more importantly, we see people dead in their sins brought to new spiritual life. And if that's all there was to it, I guess here's what would make it easy. If Jesus said, every single town you go into, every single person's going to receive it, this would be easy. What makes it hard is, we know that not everybody is going to receive it. But he tells us that too, doesn't he? Hey, somehow, some, 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 some towns are going to run you out of town on a rail. Kick the dust off your feet, go to the next one. Some families aren't going to thank you for, com- for, for sharing this truth with them. They're going to go from thinking you were a nice, normal American neighbor to, uh, to thinking you're a religious weirdo. But some people are going to be saved. Is that worth something? Jesus thought it was worth his life. What do we think it's worth? Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.